Well, hello and welcome to Sabbath School from Home, a podcast where we are discussing God's mission this quarter, this season. And the topic that we've got to explore today is entitled Sharing God's Mission. It seems to me that this could be extremely central to the way of living life in the in the pattern of Jesus as a follower of God. I'm Lachlan. I'm interested to see where we go with the conversation. And I'm Luke, and I'm very glad to be here. And we'll see. Cam might be able to join us and might not. We'll see how we go during the recording. Um well, we were just chatting before we hit the record button, Luke, and, and you reminded me that last time we recorded, you were contemplating an upcoming sermon that you were going to go and preach, and, and now it's happened. Um, it, as you described it before we hit record, it, it seemed to relate to this topic of sharing God's mission. Yeah, well, um, it, it seemed to, to get quite a, a grateful reception, and, and I think the reason was well there, there were two sorts of comments one was was people saying well that was that was quite unusual <laughs> um and i guess it was because i really emphasized how much i like deuteronomy since we studied deuteronomy on this podcast right um and you know it, it it's it's a joke that goes down reasonably well in an adventist church um about how deuteronomy is one of the most boring books of the bible but now i really like mm-hmm. it because i'm older and and wiser or you know less foolish um uh, but but i the reason i think it got such positive reception is because i was i was able to tie it in i mean the 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 focus of the sermon was all about how um you know helping others helping foreigners widows poor orphans um, disadvantaged people in society is not a new idea and it's not an idea that is tied to any modern social or political ideology. It is, in fact, a very old biblical law mm. um, that comes, it starts way back in Exodus in terms of being written down as a law for the Israelites. Um, and so it's a very old idea, and it's an idea that, that if, we, if we have any claim of, of being Bible-based in our theology, we must, we must adhere to it. Mm. Um, because it's emphasized so much. Um, but I was able to tie it into all of the community service work the church was doing. Now, lots of Adventist churches, like lots of churches, generally do community service work. Um, and, and, and they do it because we have this sort of general understanding that community service work is something good Christians should be doing. Um, but I put it to them in the sermon that community service work is a core part of our mission Mm. Um, as as written in Old Testament law and then emphasized in the teachings of Christ. Um, and, and therefore, they, they should feel reassured that when they do this sort of community service work, which is not proselytizing, it's not evangelizing, it's not the traditional Adventist view of mission, mm. which is preaching doctrine and, 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 and counting the number of baptisms you can get by preaching doctrine loudly enough, um, it's, it's unconventional in the sense that it's not that, but it's not unconventional in the biblical sense. Cause as I say it goes way back to the old Testament and the prophets hammer it time and time again, that this is how you worship God by treating others with justice and looking after foreigners and widows and poor. Mm. Um, and, 
And so, but, you know, as a, this church had done a lot of community service and was doing a lot of community service. And so, essentially, I used the sermon as an opportunity to praise them for it and to praise God that they were doing it. Um, and, and that seemed to strike a chord. And I, I thought about it afterwards, and I think it might be because, uh, as, I, as I was saying to you, um, a church is, and church members are not allowed in Adventist culture to say that they don't like evangelism or they don't want to evangelize for whatever reason whether it be personality or you know just doubts about its effectiveness or cost effectiveness or, or suitability in, in the modern era and, and and with you know um meeting society's needs and, and touching people's hearts where they're at um but you, you you may feel it very strongly but you can't say it yeah right and, and at the same time um, you've got this general sense that community service is good, but you know in your Adventist heart that it's not really evangelism and coal portering mm. and, and 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 winning souls. Well, that, that was put to horrible me horrible expression. Yeah, I mean that that idea was put to me um, very explicitly by someone a few seasons ago. We were discussing tithe, and um, the person I was chatting to was was quite thoughtful, but their comment was there are a lot of people that a lot of Adventists that. Um, you know, direct some of their tithe towards ADRA. And he had an issue with that because he felt that ADRA was a really important thing to support, but that in his mind, tithe should be about the spreading of God's message, which for him clearly meant the teachings and the doctrines. And he identified, I think slightly correctly, that ADRA was more focused on doing things to help people, um, to, to uh, develop people from poverty and relieve people in suffering rather than being focused on sp spreading the the verbal proclamation of God's message mm. and and I was intrigued by the by the comment he very clearly saw it as being there's there's evangelism and spreading God's message as kind of primary importance and then just helping mm. people as being good but not the a, same a, sep a separate yeah. but not the same thing but you know I would submit and I've thought about this a bit um around this sermon as well, I would submit that if what ADRA does and, and community service and these sort of activities aren't in fact part of the mission, the church shouldn't be doing them. Yeah. Now, I don't hold that view. I believe they are part of, not only part of the mission, but a core yeah. part of the mission, maybe the most important part of the mission. And therefore, I fully 100% support the church, all churches, and the church corporate and entities like ADRA to do this work because it is vital hmm. work in, 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 in God's service. Um, but the, that sort of middle ground, actually, I find, I find less admirable than the view that it's, it's not part of God's work, so we shouldn't do it at all, because it, it, it means they have a very muddied concept. They know it's good, but they don't know why it's yeah. good. Everything that is good is in God's service. That's the definition of something that's good. <laughs> well, I mean, this this is that it serves God. Yeah, this is this is a theme that we continue to explore in this season as we as we talk about mission. Um, the the wide scope of God's mission is what makes me resonate with it. Um, so it's it's precisely because. The mission of God includes the feeding of the hungry and the support of the widow and the protection of the pursuit of yeah, justice. the protection of the orphan and the foreigner, you know, the pursuit of justice precisely because 
God's mission is big enough to encompass that. I find it to be a an energizing lens through which to view the world um, because there's always it always means that there are things to do and they have significance they have value not just because they seem the right thing to do from the perspective of of kindness and generosity but also because they seem the right thing to do from the perspective of being an agent of god's kingdom pursuing god's kingdom you know seeking the kingdom of god um has to involve times when you're not proclaiming it you're just out there mm. amplifying it looking for it seeking it discovering it um in in all these unexpected places well and i think even i mean the, the, the <clears throat> even the language that the lesson is using um for this week it gets close because doesn't it talk about sharing the the mission yeah so the the is that the phrase that's yeah used? the week's title is called sharing god's mission um yeah sharing god's mission so i'll put it to you um how do you share food with someone yeah do you describe the food to them and 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 read out the recipe of how to? Cook yeah, no. Well, sometimes you might show but show photos of food, like in a in an elegantly yeah, put together slideshow, diagrams <laughs> of food, explaining which part of the food is the is the prophecy about the yeah, yeah. the Babylonian Empire and which part of the food is the prophecy. Okay, I'm I'm being too on the nose. <laughs> we could even talk about food I, timelines. I, I, I don't mean to make light of the Adventist teachings, a lot of which, not all, I believe. Um, but I think the analogy holds. Mm, mm. The way that you share food to- with somebody is you give them food. Yeah. The way that you share God's mission with somebody is that you live it. You do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, and that means helping people in their need. Yeah. And, and not not just helping people in need, but but doing so in a in a way that where you're trying to cultivate that as a as a default posture towards others you know this whole mm, being in the habit yeah of, this whole idea of serving others of, of serving yourself to it. servant mentality um you know I, I think that our society falls extremely readily into the trap of um i'm, I'm happy to help someone else but not at my own not, like not at not at cost to me, not at sacrifice to me. You know, when, when you live in a society, relatively speaking, a society of plenty, it's very easy to be thinking in terms of, well, I'm more than happy to donate to ADRA, but from my excess. Or, you know, I'm more than happy mm. to take some food from my pantry and put it into the, in, you know, the, up the front of church at the food drive because uh, I bought some of those cans of beans and actually I didn't like the first one I opened, so maybe I don't even like them anyway. Um, that's... Mm still good right i mean giving helping is still good but i but i genuinely think we're called to something slightly deeper which is an attitude that says maybe i could live with an with an approach to the world that says i might not be the most important person in the world the the needy person in front of me is in fact the most important person in the world and and it might actually come at some cost to me but that's okay jesus's description of what god is like as Jesus lived that description out, was that God was willing to be self-sacrificial. Mm. Um, and, and other biblical characters that we um, uphold as you know, heroes of, of faith and of, uh, as particularly vivid examples of, of God followers, I think, fall into this same trap. In fact, we're going, to, we're going to look at a story a little bit along these lines, not quite, but a little bit along these lines in, in Genesis 18. 
Um, mm. So, well, perhaps we should we should have a, a look at look see at it. Yeah, we should. So let's look at Genesis eighteen. This is a very interesting story. Uh, there's one detail in particular that I'd like to draw out in the context here of sharing God's mission, that this story and very few others in the Bible showcase. But I think it's a really provocative way to think through this issue. So Genesis eighteen has um, the supernatural visitors coming to Abram. Abraham, and they do two things. They promise that Sarah will have a son, and then they disclose a plan of destruction for Sodom and Gomorrah. And what follows after that is a, a very iconic dialogue between Moses, uh, between Abraham and God. Um, I slipped up. And it, one that, that you particularly liked. I, I did. I, I do. I do. I do really like this story. Um, so what I think we should do, the, the bit about Sarah is very interesting, but it's not the core of what we want to focus in on today. So I think we should, uh, here, I'll just read the first the first couple of verses to help set the scene, and then we'll pick the story up in, in verse 16. So mm. Genesis 18 begins, The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honoured your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. And, um, you know, already we see, and clearly this is culturally informed, but the hospitality, the, the, these aren't necessarily mm. needy and starving Poverty-stricken oh, people. The, 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 you mention hospitality. That's a really significant reference. Mm. Uh, I want to come back to that in a second. Um, not in a second, uh, later. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean... But but keep keep going for now. Well, I think that it's, on, on it's connected. But I've got another reference for you, which, which I found um, in my sermon. Oh, good. Uh, research. It's not... I didn't use it in the sermon, but I found it and I made note of it. And it's about... It's about hospitality. Okay. Well, let's pick the story up in verse 16 after there's been a little bit of a discussion about uh, Sarah going to have a baby and she laughs and then denies laughing. And, and um, in verse 16, I'll just read a bit, uh, a bit further here. So picking it up in verse 16. Then the men got up from their meal and looked out towards Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> forgive me for interrupting but isn't that a very cool way of telling this story god's heard the rumors and wants to come to check mm. <laughs> oh. i mean i think it yeah it, it's I, I i couldn't possibly guess as why it, why it's written that way um and, and what the sort of intent was because surely god knew indeed um in most of our pictures of god he didn't need to take any further action to kind of confirm 
um, and yet it's implied, I, I, you know, it, it indicates a, a very fair and measured judgment. Yeah, it does. Um, it's also interesting to me reading there in verse 18 and 19, God rhetorically asks a question to himself, um, should I hide mm. my plan from Abraham? And the reason for not hiding the plan in verse 18 and 19 is it's not a very good, like it's not a clear answer to that question. It's not, mm. no, I will not hide my plan because Abraham needs to know it's in his local area or Abraham needs to know he's an important power broker, an important player. It's, it's Abraham will become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. It's a reiteration of the, promise and blessing that occurred at the call of abram at the very start of abram's story in in his story with god um and so somehow that's the reason clearly abraham works it out yeah yeah um because it doesn't say that god told him and yet the next reference is well or maybe god said in his presence i will go down and and see if what they've done is bad i i I don't know yeah but but abraham puts two and two together yeah as as we read in in verses from from verse twenty three, yes, um, and on, yeah, yeah. Uh, why don't you read a few verses there, Luke, from verse twenty three? Mm. Yeah. Then Abraham approached him and said, "Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are fifty righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous people in it?" Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Hmm. Which is a remarkable thing to say to God. Well, this is this is the <laughs> essence of what I want to just explore for a moment here. If we, The lesson is pulling this story out in the context of that title, Sharing God's Mission. It seems to me that there are plenty of places where God explains his mission as rescuing the world saving the world i mean in the new testament you've got um you know i came to seek and save that which is lost uh i didn't come to condemn the world but to but to save the world um you've got in the new testament epistles you've got this idea that all of creation is groaning under the burden and is longing for the restoration that comes that's all of creation that's not just sentient humans and their and their god imaged souls but it's, it's this idea that God's mission in the world is taking to a new fulfillment all that he has created in the created realm. Um, you know, that's what I, I see it as this really big and grand picture. So, so if Abraham here is, is, is described by the lessoners as, as showcasing part of the aspects of what it means to share in God's mission... If God's mission is to save the world, here Abraham is presenting arguments to save the city of Sodom. But the bizarre bit is he's presenting those arguments to God. So I think there's something interesting going on here. In order to participate in, to share in God's mission of save salvation and, rest, and redemption and restoration, Abraham is actually grappling with God here. He's questioning God's mm stated intent to destruct actually it's not even a stated intent to destruct in verse 21 um god says to abraham simply i'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as i've wicked as i have heard and then Mm. uh where you started in verse 23 abraham approached him and said will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked abraham clearly knows the city is pretty bad he's pretty convinced Mm. that if god goes and looks at it (laughs) he will find plenty that should be destroyed Mm. but not 
exclusively that which should be destroyed. And Abraham, Abraham is sort of saying, hey, there's, there's still some good here. I, I find this a really interesting perspective in, in the context of, of our call to share in God's mission. I wonder if we could ever find ourselves in a situation where our role in sharing in God's mission, God's mission might call us to grapple with God. Or grapple with our understanding of what God wants. I think that's a better way of saying it, because clearly here, like all of the passages in the Old Testament where it reads a little as if God changes his mind, um, I mean, a very similar similar story to this is the story of Moses. I slipped up a few minutes ago and I said the word Moses when I should have said the word Abraham. The reason is because Mm. there's a very similar bit where Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and the um, Israelites are worshipping the golden calf and God says, hey, stand aside, Moses. I'm going to destroy these... um, idol worshippers and i'm going to make a great nation out of you and moses says no 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 hang on actually god that's not the best course of action for these reasons um you know again the way the story is told is is anthropomorphizing god just as much as as this idea that he had to come down to see um and i don't think that's necessarily the most accurate picture of the absolute truth of what's going on but it's certainly a picture of the perceived picture of what's going on um, I mean, let me put this into mm. real terms. Imagine that I was a contemporary Christian uh, living in a society like Australia over recent years where there was a um, public vote about the way that we would understand marriage, in particular, whether it would be specifically between a male and female or whether it might include same-sex couples. Imagine that I was a good Christian in this context who felt th- uh, the strong perception that God was very against same-sex relationships. Would I take the Abrahamic position here and say, hey, God, these people still have some good in them. Are you sure, God, that you really are as against them as you think you are? I mean, I'm deliberately picking one of the most provocative examples to try and, to try and just help me and our listeners think, put ourselves in the mindset of exactly what Abraham is doing here. Hmm. Well, it's fascinating that you should bring this up, uh, because this comes to that other reference that I mentioned, because Sodom is referred to in other parts of the Bible. Yeah. Now, what was the great sin of Sodom? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, we, we know what we think. Yes, I know. There's a very... But there's actually another part of the Bible that says what it right. was. You want to read it? Yeah, I think we should. I, fa- I found it when uh, I was searching for all the references to the poor and the needy, and that might give away what I'm about to mm-hmm. reveal. If we pop over to Ezekiel, and we're looking at Ezekiel 16, and this is where the prophet is criticizing the Israelites for their terrible behavior mm-hmm. um, and their failure to worship God and live according to his rules. If we pos- pop on down to verse 48, Ezekiel, talking to the Israelites, says this, As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, your sister Sodom and her daughters never did what you and your daughters have done. Uh, Meaning you're even worse than Mm. they they were. Um, Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. <laughs> so you mentioned that, that, that this is fascinating. Uh, and I hadn't quite made this connection before. Genesis 18, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, starts with Abraham showing hospitality. Yeah. And then contrast that with Sodom. 
Yeah. And this great sin actually, was was not to treat the poor and the needy and guests with respect, was to treat them very, very badly, yeah. right? Um, well, actually, isn't this interesting? Lot is a very complicated character in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, to be fair. But in this lens, the lens of hospitality, Lot is hospitable to his guests and protects them. He feeds yes. them, and houses them, and protects spared. them. Could that? Well, that's what I was going to say. Could that be in the in this lens? Could that be seen as why Lot is the one who needs to be removed before the destruction? Mm-hmm. Isn't that an interesting thought? <laughs> wow! So that's what it was, you know. You know, the the lesson, and I, I think our, our podcast today is not about the whole homosexuality thing. Mm. But I do want to make the point, the church really gets hung up on that. And it gets hung up on that partially because of this thing we're all taught about Sodom. Mm. Where the great sin of Sodom was homosexuality. Yeah. It's not what the Bible says. It does say they practiced it. it doesn't say that's why they were destroyed. Yes. It's very clear in Ezekiel why they were destroyed. Yeah, and... and so the translation I'm reading in verse uh, 49, Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. Um, mm. So the, the, the point I want to make there is the, it's a far more confronting and relevant story in many ways if we see it as an absolute indictment of pride, gluttony, and laziness <laughs> because mm. those things sound a whole lot more um yeah it's it's easy for me to be not homosexual yeah. <laughs> i can avoid that sin and i'm making air quotes um real easily because i'm not mm. Mm. <laughs> but a pride and gluttony and laziness yeah. and unconcern for the plight of people who are less fortunate than myself that's a very easy sin to fall into yeah yeah a very hard sin to avoid um and i'm i'm actually a big fan of reading the bible in ways that are most confronting to us and mm. that certainly is the more confronting way to do yeah. it that god will destroy a city for its lack of concern for the poor and needy yeah. is a far more scary idea to me than god destroying a city because they were homosexual yeah, yeah. um I mean, the other... A, a, a better idea, to be sure, but a scarier one. Yes. Because, again, you know, um, pride is is a sin that we all suffer from in various ways and at various times. Yeah. We all commit it. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, neglect of the poor and needy mm. in our vicinity and lack of that, hospitality the to the... It was the... It, yeah. Because my translation says unconcerned. Yeah. And I think yours... Yours said... Um, yeah, well, mine, mine gave the word picture else? of unconcern. So pride, gluttony, and laziness while the poor and needy suffered right. outside her door. Yeah. If they're outside and, and your door, said, then then yeah. gluttony and laziness in the face of their close proximity is, is just the, the like a, a cartoon etching. It's a, it's a mm. physical picture, a word picture of that lack of concern, that absolute disregard. So, so, like you said, it's not just enough to do a little bit here and there mm. to help the needy uh, when it's convenient for you, when it crosses your mind, mm. right? That's still being unconcerned. You actually have to make an effort to involve yourself in, the, in easing the misfortune of others. Yeah. Uh, that's what we're called to do. And that is a challenge. 
Yeah, uh, it surely is. I mean, I, I, I think that's the challenge that we should basically uh, leave ringing in our ears and in the ears of any listeners, because if we're going to contemplate seriously the idea of sharing in God's mission, another word might be participating in God's mission, um, I think we are called to... Yeah, God is the God throughout the entire Old Testament who hears the cry of the oppressed. Um, he hears the cry mm. of Hagar in the wilderness. He hears the cry of the Israelites when they are slaves in Egypt. Um, if we're going to be so, sharing in God's mission, we have to mm. be attentive to the cry of the needy and suffering. We, we cannot risk being insensitive, being oblivious, being um, unconcerned. unconcerned by the the poor and needy um and and that's not to say that you have to then take a a a morbid interest in every example of human suffering around the world mm. god doesn't say help every single poor person yeah um out of your own resources of you know but there's there's people in need out there somewhere that you can help yeah and there's ways to um, help close by or far away yeah. pick yeah um, it doesn't have to be everybody, but, uh, you know, I believe more firmly than just about, I believe anything else. It's somebody. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of ways to help. Um, some are at financial cost, some are at time cost, um, some are by leveraging our influence, by um, being... Using our voice. Yeah, using our voice. Um, there's there's so many ways. It doesn't need... This is not, ex- this is not a, in any way exclusively the domain of anyone who who identifies as being one of the, um, you know, financially secure uh, people in, in, in the world. It, it's, it, there's so many ways. It, it's, it's about it. I see it as about engaging in the idea of, um, of, of being an agent for redemption and restoration. Um, so, yeah, really interesting. Um, I like your suggestion that we should, find the most challenging ways to interpret some of these passages and then go and sit with that challenge, um, grapple with the challenge. I think this is one of the ways in which we can remain attentive and attuned to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, that that's a great place where we should leave it. Mm. So thanks for listening, if you have been. And um, remember, you can email us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. We, we received a wonderful email just uh, in the last week and um, it confirmed something that I had actually hoped for a little while which is that this Sabbath School podcast can in fact be a little bit helpful for facilitating and helping real physical gatherings of, of Sabbath School discussions. Obviously a podcast doesn't have that physical community element uh, because a podcast is, by definition, a, a kind of a remote participation through the through the audio medium that's downloadable on the internet. Um, but one of our one of our regular listeners in New South Wales, in Australia, um, dis- described being busy, uh, but trying to get some inspiration to to lead a Sabbath school um, discussion, and um, the podcast notification popped up, and I listened to it, and they they picked out a couple of the challenges that that particular episode featured and um, just found that it was a useful, a useful idea to kind of launch them on, on making a physical Sabbath school happen. So I'm sharing that with all of the listeners 
uh, I think that would be a beautiful way for this podcast to actually have, um, you know, even greater utility. So that's something to all think about if you haven't been using it that way already. And um, however you use this podcast, whether it's to pass the time while running, uh, whether it's to make commutes less lonely, uh, or whether it's to um, act as a as a a surrogate for community if you're if you're in a situation or a, or a life phase where it's just harder to engage with with other forms of community all of all of the above and many more are great reasons and um we find it really useful as we've said many times uh ourselves even if there are no listeners so thanks very much and we look forward to you joining us next week